Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production in food and beverage that are shaping the industry. We're joined today by longtime food and beverage executive, David Clausens. David is the chief executive officer of King Juice Company, Inc., the owner of the Calypso brand, and has more than 30 years of senior level experience in transforming and growing leading food and beverage companies. He's worked with some of the biggest brands in the business, including Hess Corporation, Kraft, Nabisco, and PepsiCo. David, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Scott. Great. Great to be with you today. We're excited to have you on today. Um, for our listeners that might not be aware, um, tell us a little bit about the Calypso brand uh, and all the different flavors, lemonades, uh, and distribution that you have. Yeah, so it is a uh, brand that's been around for 20 years. And uh, the founder of the brand, Tim Kesman, did a terrific job of creating uh, a uh, premium, uh, really well-accepted product in lemonade and uh, created a, uh, an unbelievably great tasting product and, you know, was able to coin uh, and capture the Calypso brand name back in 2000 and uh, grew the business and did a terrific job with it, you know, over the years, but was at a point where, he just didn't uh, didn't want to you know push the brand any harder than he was, and he did a terrific job with it. And it was time to to move on. And what he did was created the flavored lemonade category, where really nobody uh, had a presence yet. Um, and again, a, a well accepted product type in lemonade. But you know, at the same time, you know, it was really led by just a couple of key players and didn't have a ton of presence in market. And that's where we stepped in in 2017. All right. It's remarkable to think that at one time there there used to be lemonade, <laughs> just kind yeah. of old-fashioned straight lemon. Uh, but there's lots of different flavors now available. And uh, you know, you mentioned success and growth, and Calypso experienced 40% growth during the first half of 2020. Congratulations on that. Uh, what do you attribute that growth to? Well, it's interesting. We uh, we saw our growth start in 2019, uh, where we grew 33%. And then on top of that, 40% in the first half of 2020 this year, that accelerated even further to 70, 80% in the back half of this year. So really terrific momentum that we've been able to establish. And it all starts with a great product. And again, Tim, Tim had done that uh, when he founded the business and created the, the the brand itself, but I would tell you, you know, our uh, influence has been around packaging, visual ID, innovation, uh, in particular flavor, and the lights product that we've launched this year, um, and then you know, great execution. We've redesigned our sales organization, the team, you know, led by Bridget Lazda you know, a, a Heineken exec and uh, has some Coke background where she really assembled a, uh, you know, a, a top talent team and has been able to, to get after execution in the field. So it's a combination of things, but it all started with the basics of packaging, visual ID, marketing, and innovation. There you go. So you can still experience what I would, you know, probably label startup growth type numbers. Uh, even for an establishment, uh, you know, by focusing on marketing, you know, product innovation, too many brands, I think, 
get get comfortable. And and who am I to to criticize any brand that might be just doing successful and can continue that success? But to be able to deliver those types of um, you know numbers two years in a row for an established brand is is quite impressive. How's the back half of 2020 gone? You know, in in it would be impossible to not ask how COVID impacted the business. I'm sure at the very least. Uh, you know, some C store sales had to have had a, a slight rough patch there. Uh, but how's how have things gone uh, in the back half of 2020? So I think like everybody, you know, when when things started shutting down in March and into April, uh, we were all concerned, weren't quite sure where this thing was going to head. And of course, you know, the safety of our of our people was in the in the forefront. And we saw a dip in the business, a slowdown of our growth trajectory. And, you know, no one was sure what to expect and and where it was going to go. But I would tell you in May, June, and then it really started accelerating in July, the business uh, took off. And as you mentioned, e-stores lost a ton of traffic early and uh, it took them a while to, to, to get it back. Their numbers are still down broadly as an industry, but basket size is up. And then grocery is really, you know, I'd say grocery, Walmart are really the areas where consumers went. And we were positioned well. Um, you know, if you had supply, if you could support service and be in the stores with your product, uh, especially with our DSD network nationally, you could really benefit from it. And that's, that's what happened in the back half for us. And it's why I say I attribute a good portion of our success this year, especially in the back half to execution and leveraging those things that we had created over the last couple of years with packaging and innovation. So, um, you know, it's gone from a concern to really, you know, keeping up with the demand and uh, in the growth that we've experienced there. So consumers are really responding well product to the brand. Uh, and you see that on social uh, as well, where we've uh, you spent a lot of time, you know, we've taken our, you know, for example, in- Instagram followers from 10,000 to almost 90,000 now, just in the last year or so. Um, and we're well over 200,000 on, on Facebook, uh, growing at about 40, 45%. So, you know, this connection with consumers, and, and then leveraging this growth, especially in grocery and, and mass, has really helped accelerate the business here in the back app. Yeah, and you've established a, a nice, fun, vibrant brand, which they're responding to, and you're building your loyalty that way. Um, I have to put you on the spot. I hate to do it. So we're in mid, uh, what are we in here? It's called mid-November as a timestamp. COVID is running crazy right now. Um, I think that there's angst is starting to return to the, the just the business industry overall about w- what we're going to face in the holidays. Uh, I'm not here to try and prognosticate on what sorts of lockdowns are, are, are on the horizon. But as, as someone with so much experience, you've, you've, you've been through, I'm sure, managed companies through multiple recessions. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, this to navigate through. What are the types of conversations you're having right now uh, to ensure that you know you can you know at least maintain growth or, or or maintain you know healthy company and financials in the face of so much uncertainty over over the next 
few months. If you don't see it as uncertainty, then please feel free um, to, to, to position it that. I'm just curious with how, how a leader like you addresses with their team the uncertainty of what is coming here in the winter. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a great question. And I characterize it as um, somewhat knowable uncertainty, if that's possible. Because mm-hmm. at the beginning of this thing, it was, you know, a, a high level of anxiety for people, for businesses, and, uh, you know, that what's going to happen, we have no idea. Um, and we've got a strong international business. And the shutdowns there were even more dramatic or drastic than what was happening here in the U.S. And, you know, businesses just shut down and, you know, no one knew what was going to happen. I think there's, you know, there, even though we're seeing this, this surge now with cases, is more, it's, it's a bit more knowable of what to expect, especially in retail. We're not going to be shutting down grocery stores. You know, people are still going to work, especially for, you know, essential businesses. Um, and people are still shopping. And, you know, we we have the experience through that, you know, call it April, May, June period that suggests that our brand, at least, and, and the business that we have can fare very well through this. You know, think about it this way. We've got a brand, Calypso, that is all about taste of the islands. You know, who doesn't want a trip to the islands when they're out? <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're, this brand has actually resonated through this, um, you know, pandemic. So, you know, I am, while always concerned about, again, the safety of our, you know, our people, um, I'd say I'm not as concerned about the trajectory of the business, given what we've just experienced. So, you know, knowable uncertainty is, is Mm -hmm. people still will be seeking pleasure in their life and and lemonade is a, is a place to get that. Um, You mentioned your, the light, light market uh, or the light products and how that, that led to a lot of growth. Given that you're so well known for taste in, in balancing of the flavor profile, which you know, we're all about taste here at Chef's Best. Um, talk to us about the decision to enter the light market, uh, the light juice market, and, and the process for developing and going to market. It, it must have been a, a really significant decision when you're so well known as, you know, a, a leader by consumers with taste to, you know, really forge a new path into an unknown area that you know, as a brand, you have to, you have to balance innovation with, with, you know, sticking with what you know and have done best. Uh, what was that decision process like to, to enter the light juice market? You know, our first position was no compromise, no compromise on taste and flavor, because that's at the core of this brand. It's a, you know, unbelievably great tasting product with you know, multiple different flavors, 20 different flavors of lemonade and and limeades, and uh, we took our time. Uh, it's an obvious extension of the brand to go into a you know no sugar or low sugar product, and our consumers told us that uh, on social and on our website. You know, we 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 did have some lapsed users because of uh, sugar, so we knew there was an opportunity there. The other thing that was pretty clear and obvious to us is there's an underserved market in lemonade with lower no sugar products. So if you look at 
CSDs, carbonated soft drinks, about 25% of the businesses in uh, low or no sugar. And uh, teas, it's about 27%. But in lemonade, it's only 10. So there's a reason for that. And the reason is it's really, really hard to take lemon juice and mix it together without sugar and have it taste good. And if you look at, you know, our competitors, um, none of the products really taste good at all. They just don't. And, right. and it bears itself out in that 10% number. So it's, you know, less than half of the size of the market that it should be based on other beverages. So we knew with our technology, our R&D support that we could figure it out, but we took our time. And we spent a year doing it with multiple different variants uh, and different uh, sugar substitutes and flavoring profiles to uh, make the product taste great. And you know, we even played with you know sugar levels, and we ended up with an unbelievably great tasting zero sugar product that is only five calories. And it's already started to resonate. Just to give you some perspective, um, we launched this year and we launched in, in Kroger in a big way. Uh, and over the course of the summer, where you know, we spent time uh, sampling product, we, we beat our repeat rates that we had set out for us. Um, and the lights business is now 15% of our total Kroger business. So we've already beaten that 10% mark really just at introduction over the last, you know, call it three or four months. So it's working, it's resonating. Um, we spent our time getting to the right profile, the right taste. We didn't just jump out there with something that, uh, you know, that satisfied the zero sugar. It was zero sugar plus great taste. And, you know, it's, it's working and we're getting the feedback on social that says, you know, it, we're getting new consumers into the market. We're getting new, new consumers into the brand, which was the intent. You should some good light there because I hadn't thought of that. Uh, how, well, what I knew is, yeah, you're right. There, there just have not been really great tasting lemonades that are light. I mean, you can, you can tell whether you're buying it in, you know, a powdered form or, or, you know, fully processed form. You can just, you can just tell. And, you know, when I think of lemonade, I'm, I'm getting it for pleasure. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's that super refreshing feeling. And uh, as you mentioned, the, the balancing of, of lemon juice, which the first thing I think of is tart. Uh, the reason why, you know, people love lemonade, I think is that balance of sweetness and tart um, is, you know, just, it's a high pleasure experience, sensory experience. So I could see why you took so much time given, you know, some of the failures that have been seen and, and that, that just overall challenge on that. One thing that you've maintained using is glass packaging. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you could say it's, it's part of your brand. Um, I'm curious about that a little bit in, in, uh, is it more expensive, you know, and what, what discussions have you had around the container and the decision to continue that process to maintain the brand versus I, I, I can't imagine at some time your CFO didn't <laughs> suggest that you could expand margin, uh, you know, you know, by, by moving to a, a plastic and any other considerations given, given your seat at that table and, and how important packaging is, 
what types of conversations have you had over the years um, regarding that? So you're right. You had said it's part of the brand. It is absolutely mm. part of this brand. Um, it is a premium package. Um, it is a you know, premium product at a mainstream price. And I think that is a huge advantage to us. And it's helped with, you know, the momentum that we've, we've started to see. Yes, of course, we've talked about, you know, do you go into PET? Do you go into cans? And some of that was done previously, previous to, to our ownership. And uh, it hasn't worked. And I would also, you can point to a number of different brands that were in glass that shifted to PET and it didn't work, you know, it's mm. been part of the brand. And um, I've been adamant about not moving away from glass. However, at the same time, there's always a need to improve margins. And of course you can do that with, you know, uh, with your suppliers to improve price. But uh, one of the things that we've done that has allowed us to invest back into the business is the package was actually a 20 ounce package and we've transitioned to 16 ounce and we had expected to see elasticity as you would in you know, any weight out or you know, price increase, which you could consider this clearly a weight out, but we maintain price on shelf because we are a very fair price. Our average price is $1.77 for a bottle. We didn't change price and we downsized to 16 and then invested into the brand in marketing and support and the sales organization um, and, and drove margins. So, you know, that is the shift that we made to uh, enhance the brand. And lo and behold, we saw very little if any, elasticity with a brand, because what we came out with, and again, spent a lot of time, spent about a year uh, forming the new proprietary bottle that we have and the shape of it and the dimensions of it, it feels great in your hand. It feels better than you know the old 20 ounce package that we had. And we also had some feedback, lots of research that we did on it, because it's a big move to make that consumers said, you know what, 20 ounces is just too much. It's too, I don't finish it. A lot of people didn't even know it was 20 versus a 16. So when we shifted over, uh, it worked really, really well. Um, from a consumer standpoint, worked well, not to mention the ability to invest back into the business and into the brand. So it's a great question, but getting out of glass is, is not something, you know, that, uh, that we're interested in, you know, at this point. Uh, it may be for, you know, some channels of business, because clearly, you know, we're not going to be in a channel that is going to service, you know, golf courses, right? So we're going to miss some business because we're in glass, but I think the, the broad uh, acceptance of glass is, uh, is one of the reasons that we're staying in it. And I'd add one last thing to it. Um, you know, PET has been, vilified over the last, call it couple of years. Um, and glass is hundred percent recyclable. So there's an advantage to glass just from a consumer perception standpoint and um, the ability to recycle. So number of reasons we stayed in glass and we intend to, to keep it that way. What a great example of, of thinking of a brand 
as what it really is, is experiential. You know, people get caught up in, you know, the brand just being the logo, but, you know, you brought it all the way down to it's how it feels in your hand, uh, which, you know, you would, it can give you a point of satisfaction, something to, you know, almost remember and reflect upon is, is how something feels to you. Uh, not just, you know, how the logo or tagline looked, or even just an Instagram image, a, a great brand is built around the entire experience. And you covered it all the way there from, from the, the actual experience of consuming it, uh, to how you feel at the end. Uh, you know, it, there is almost, if you're, if you're leaving four ounces, um, you can almost have a negative feeling there and you, that might cause you pause the next time you, you go to make a purchase. Cause you, you know, don't want to be wasteful, whether wasting the actual product itself or, or money, uh, and all the way through to perceptions around sustainability, uh, you know, and what people prefer there and what they, what they want to, you know, make their purchase, make their purchase about, You've been in food beverage for about 30 years. You started off with PepsiCo. Uh, you've maintained a personal foothold in the beverage space for most of that time, including with Hess and in the form of C-Stores. How has the drink category changed and evolved in the past 30 years? What, what, what do you recall it being like? Um, what were some of you know, the major shifts and changes that, that you saw and experienced? Um, it, it, it feels like at the very least, there are far more options to consumers. Um, if you were to go back into the 2000s and 90s, I, I kind of wish I had a photo of a C-Store <laughs> right. to see what was there. Um, what kind of major markers do you recall uh, during your journey uh, that, that have led us to where we are now in the, in the drink category? Yeah, it, it, that that is a great question because um, as I reflect on it, 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 I didn't realize what I was looking at or experiencing, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago um, until now. And the reason is I was with the big CPG companies. So I was, you know, competing against the other big guys mm. and trying to squeeze out the little guys. And you do that by, you know, especially in the C-store industry or grocery work or any retailer, you know, by squeezing space and having contracts. And it was very successful. And um, I think over time, these larger CPG companies have, you know, created this, this foothold uh, in a highly competitive category beverages that's become more and more crowded. So they're pushing, trying to continually push everybody out so that there's very little space left for the little guy. Mm. And, you know, I had that experience at Hess, but, you know, I didn't care that much, quite frankly, about the little guy looking for the up and coming, but, you know, the little unproven brands really didn't get much recognition, at least on the shelf. You know, they didn't get presence. Uh, I think that's gotten harder and harder. However, there's been this shift to, and this is really just recently, I'd say over the last three years, five years, this acceptance of not the big brand. And, you know, consumer 
consumers will look for not the big brand, you know, not the Pepsi, the Coke, uh, not these big guys. And I think that's where we can play now. But it is an incredibly crowded and incredibly competitive category that's become more and more difficult to break in. And you have to have some point of difference. That's what attracted me to this brand. You know, if it was another energy brand, another uh, CSD or another, you know, kombucha, if you will, um, it probably wouldn't have excited me. But we're talking about lemonade. Everybody knows what a lemonade is. And it had a point of difference and it had the highest velocities in the category. Yet, very low distribution, you know, 30% ACV distribution. So I knew it was going to be difficult to break in that, you know, another 30 points of distribution to double it. And we focused on the brand. And uh, like I had said, the packaging, the visual ID, the innovation, the flavors, the lights, so that we could create some momentum to where retailers would say, wow, I can't ignore this anymore. This is a great product that is growing and can help drive this category. And that's where we are now. But it took us you know, two years of fighting that battle because we kept getting edged out by the big guys. Mm. And you know that's happened more and more now, but there's an acceptance for the smaller brand as long as you can show positive momentum. And I think that's where we are now. To, to that end, you started you know, to talk there a little bit do you think that we've reached peak options? It seems like we've seems like we've got everything covered by now, right? <laughs> you got vitamin infused. You've got thirty seven kinds of energy uh, in any in any store at this point. You have your traditional sodas. You have exotics such as kombucha. Have we reached peak? And now it's time for you know brands to do what you've done and to continue to do what you've done, which is to you know, make, make, uh, forgive me for saying a, a small innovation because I, I, I should not be discounting going to it, making a high quality flavored lemonade, but it's not like you made a jump into, you know, caffeine infused energy lemonade, um, or, or kombucha or something like that. But have, have we, as a, as an industry reached peak, or do you think that there is still room for more exotics to grow or, you know, I don't know what the next energy is. And, and I say that meaning when Red Bull came along, it, it exploded into a whole new subcategory. Where, where do you see the next couple of years going? Yes, I'd say that um, there's tons of options out there and there's tons of brands that have some typically functional advantage that are trying to break through. Um, I don't think you ever reach a peak options. I think you have a cap on options, just given space and retailer acceptance. Mm. So you can only fit so much on a shelf. So you're not going to have, you know, there's hundreds of little brands out there that are trying to make it and trying to get that space. Um, I don't think it's going to stop. You know, you're always going to have this innovation coming out. The question is, can they break through? And I, I actually believe, and this is, comes from a bit of my experience in performance nutrition, 
where, um, you know, 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, protein powders, you know, were a new thing and, uh, you know, whey protein and they tasted terrible. They were horrible. Yet they continued to grow, but they grew because people figured out, companies figured out how to make them taste great. Now you can go get a, you know, it's a somewhat of a commodity. You can go get a, a flavored protein powder, whey protein. They taste fantastic. It's a great shake. Well, I kind of see that happening with beverages much more on the functional side, where if you can take some of these functional beverages that, you know, claim these big benefits, they just don't taste very good. It's kind of like that light thing with lemonade. There's lemonade out there that's light, but it doesn't taste very good. So if you can take some of these functional beverages or these, these elements of functional beverages and find a way to make, you know, what's growing taste great, I think there's an advantage for, you know, a manufacturer or an upstart if they can do that. Um, but at the same time, there's always going to be kind of the next thing and, you know, what's cool and, you know, can it break through, but that's a long shot. I think the advantage comes with, all right, what functional elements are working and are, you know, accepted by consumers or sought after by consumers and then make them taste better. And, and, and then you're in a breakthrough because, if you can get people to buy it, you'll end up breaking through on the shelf to get the space. But if it doesn't taste good, I, you know, it, it's just going to go up and come down pretty quickly. You know, people will try it, but you won't get the repeat. So I think that's really where the advantage is going forward. Um, I don't think you ever have, you know, a peak options. I think you have max space so that the options will be limited, but there's tons of options coming up. And the question is, what's going to make it on the shelf? And I believe that, you know, functional beverage that can taste great is probably the next the next step here. Well, you found the right uh, combination of, of the recipe, quite literally, uh, it, that, that that is working for you. Uh, people can check you out at drinkcalypso.com. Uh, as you mentioned, you have a really fun, vibrant uh, social uh experience so you can check it out at drink calypso uh, on instagram and it is calypso lemonades on facebook uh, i would offer that at the very least uh your feed will be filled with a lot of bright imagery uh you know kind of transporting you to a to a warmer uh more tropical spit place uh so if nothing else there's a good reason there to uh to, to give your 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 team and your group a follow um Normally, I would ask where can uh, you know people pick up Calypso, but I think it's safe to say practically anywhere. Um, I'm not sure if there's any areas or regions that you aren't right now that you wanna that you wanna share, but uh, people can find you at most most major uh, convenience stores and and retail stores. This is making me thirsty. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure you get a couple extra boxes of samples. <laughs> Yeah, this is, I got to tell you, this is, Scott, this is a, a fun business. It's a great business. It's unique. 
you know, I call it uh, a bit of the, and I know this is stretching uh, at this point, but um, I think it's real. Uh, this, you know, could be the, that next Snapple where it's the first in flavored lemonade as Snapple was the first in, you know, ready to drink flavored teas. And um, uh, it's really exciting. It's fun. Uh, what a great brand. It is a transport to the islands. Uh, and um, uh, I have an unbelievable team of folks that's making all of this happen. So really exciting. Excellent. Well, you've, you've had a lot of growth and uh, you're remaining, remaining humble while, while excited about things. So I want to appreciate you for coming on, sharing uh, really in depth a lot about some of the thinking behind your operations and your brand uh, that can lead to success, I would say, for any, any company, whether you're uh, a startup, a mature startup, or, or something more established, there's always room for growth. Uh, I think a key, key takeaway for me, you mentioned a few times, was taking your time. Uh, you know, you didn't rush out there with, with an untested rebrand or anything like that. Uh, you know, it's clear that you have a smart, deliberative team that thinks about everything all the way from the experience to how many ounces to, you know, all the way down and through what, what your, you know, your social presence will look like as, as a leading brand channel. Um, and then, you know, when you went with uh, the light category, you didn't rush into that either. Uh, you didn't chip away at your brand and made sure you got that right. So I think there's a, a lot of lessons there. Uh, get it right. You're going to be better off as a brand in the, in the short term and, and certainly in the long term. And sounds like you're, you're headed towards more continued success. So appreciate you sharing all those deep insights uh, and a little bit into just your, your overall experience as well uh, in what you see in the food and beverage industry. So we appreciate you having you on. Great. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Shelf presented by Chef's Guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. For more details about all of our episodes from inside the ever-changing food and beverage industry, visit chefsbest.com.